The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. I don't know how long we're going to spend here, but I do want to spend a little bit of time. And again, the big idea of this series of messages is more than anything, just to help us understand that God's got this. Uh, we don't need to worry whether God is going to follow through on his promise, no matter what it looks like around us. And I got to thinking, um, we're in, a, in Friday, we were talking about this, and I just thought, you know, one of, the, one of the weapons of the enemy is ignorance or amnesia of God's word. Because I can tell you right now, if you spend time in God's word, and uh, I just encourage you to spend time in God's word, because when you do it, it is God speaking into your life. It is they are what the Bible describes as they are words of life. And you are reminded so often of God's faithfulness. He speaks to you in so many ways as you spend time in his word. Now, uh, I told you last week we are bookending this with a couple sets of scriptures out of Isaiah and out of Revelations. But I just want to remind you of this one in Isaiah chapter 46, 9, and 10. And the synopsis of that those verses is that God has been guiding all that has been taking place in human history. Whether we, whether we think it's been working out the way that we think it should have worked out, whether we question how it's working out, we need to understand that God is guiding it, and that God is going to guide history, and human history is going to guide it to His predetermined outcome, to His predetermined outcome. So why is it important for us to study Bible prophecy. And let me just say, prophecy is a foretelling. Prophecy is where God through God himself or through others has stood in a place and time and has spoken of what will take place and what will come to pass. So why do we need to study that? Well, I think it's important because it teaches us and helps us see that God has a plan for humanity. This, God just didn't go down and spin the earth into orbit and then bail. He's got, he's got, he's got a predetermined plan that he is fulfilling. And I think another thing that is good for us to study uh, in times and prophecy is to, is, to de- is to understand it so that we're not deceived. So that just, just so you know, if... Uh, if we think that the world is going to come to an end by an alien invasion, like we talked about last week, what are some of the things? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't see alien invasion in Scripture, right? Uh, so I was talking to Robert, and he said, well, we can be assured the earth isn't going to flood again. Why do we know that? Genesis chapter 6. God said, I will not flood the earth again. So, you know, there's just some things that can help us so that we're not swayed uh, into false teaching. And I think, lastly, and probably more importantly, is that we can have confidence in God's Word. 
So, I've have said this before, the Bible could be considered as this meta-narrative. There is this big story of God. And what God is wanting us, this is really, uh, this is really strong in my life. God wants us to see the big story. So, it are, is God concerned about all the details? Well, yeah, he does. He, he makes sure all the details are in place. To, but what should we concern ourselves with? Sometimes I think even in our own life, we, can, we really look at the details far too much instead of the big picture. Uh, because if God says, hey, I love you with an everlasting love, I am your uh, provider and I will provide for you. So if we can embrace that God sees us and God knows us, that God's going to provide for us, we can have confidence in that. If we start worrying about all the little details about it, then what's going to happen is our little mind's going to get involved in that. We're going to say, well, this is the little things that I need, and so God needs to answer them in these particular ways, and that's not necessarily how that all works out. As you look back in human history and as you look back and how God worked with men, it really, the way they saw it and the way it happened was very different, but did God do what he said he would do? God did what he said he would do. So, God is involved in all the aspects of his creation, and his plan, his plan is an eternal plan. See, I don't know, I know that one day, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, just like Job said, I know that in the latter days I will see God. See, I am totally, 100% convinced that I will See him as he is, because I will be like him. I am 100% assured about that. If somebody walked in here right, I can tell you right now, somebody walked in here with a loaded gun, well, Doug would drop them, but if they did and they put a gun at my forehead and said, deny Jesus or I pull the trigger, I said, look, here, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to go see Jesus or you are going to meet him, because I'm not backing down from that. You can kill me. I'm not going to deny that fact of who Jesus is, and Jesus is Lord. And so you say, well, that's kind of crazy, uh, Tracy. Well, look, uh, I, God's got an eternal plan. See, I have eternity in mind. I know that I'm not going to, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to die. And so that's always fun. Uh, I'm not afraid of dying. It's getting dead. I'm, you know, I'm just real fuzzy about how all that's going to work. But I do know it's an eternal plan. And we need to have eternal perspective. Because no matter how it all plays out, in the end, if you have stayed faithful, if you've believed in Jesus, you will have a new body, you'll be with Jesus in glory. And then all the other things that he says are going to pan out as we're going to talk over these next weeks. Now I want to just tell you at the front side, some of you maybe spent more time with this than I have, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not an expert on Bible prophecy, but then, but then again, I don't think that you have to be an expert on Bible prophecy in this respect, because there are certain things that are pretty clear that are going to take place, and I think that when you read through Scripture, you don't have to be an expert to figure those out, Now I can tell you if you're going to walk through Revelations, and you're going you're gonna to try to detail everything that's going on there, uh, I don't think that even the experts have it all figured out because they're all confused and they all say different things about that. So that should give us some clarity, but they will say, here are some big pieces that are going to take place. So what I wanted to do this morning is let's just talk about that for a second. And um, you can just shout these out. 
But talk to me about what are some things that are on the horizon for the end times? What are the big pieces? Somebody? This? Jesus is coming back. Okay. So we have the second coming. Somebody else? Tribulation. Okay. We've got a tribulation period that's going to be there. Somebody else? Okay, new heaven. Somebody else? So, it, so far, I've asked all these questions. You give a response to how many in here is an expert on prophecy? Okay, so these things are pretty clear. Any, any others? Persecution. Persecution, okay. And can I say that that is, has been, is, and will be? Until finally God puts an end to all of it. All right, so let me just say this. As I have been jumping back in to refresh my memory of all that I've forgotten, these things, I, I can tell you right now, uh, the majority of theologians believe these things are going to happen. There's going to be a second coming. There's going to be a tribulation period. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. There is going to be this final battle of God's righteousness ruling, uh, putting and defeating his enemies. There is going to be a rapture or a catching up. Uh, there is going to be uh, where we see uh, the witnesses that, that come during, the tribulation, during that tribulation period, and there is going to be persecution. So they, they, can, they, can, they can agree with those things. And again, what they say... Uh, they don't agree on as far as just the time and exactly what it's going to look like and how it's going to happen. But they agree on the big pieces. And so for me, I'm thinking, okay, well, I also agree on these big pieces. And for me, I'm not as concerned about all the details of it, but I'm confident in knowing that big pieces, God is going to fulfill them. Do I seek to know all the in-between, all the, all the little pieces, all the little nuances, like when I read through Revelations? Man, that just makes my head hurt. And um, when, when you get online, and I get online, and, and looking through, I've got a couple uh, online uh, seminary things that I access, papers written on it, and there, there's, not, there's not clarity in all of them. There, there are little nuances and differences, and I think, you know what? Here's me. I'm here right now. Like I said last week, I'm living between these two dashes. Born January or June 27th. I think I'd know when I was born. 1957 till whenever. I'm living in this time frame. And living in this time frame, what I need to be focused on is this relationship with Jesus and confidence in him in my life. And fulfilling what he wants out of my life here. Do I need to be concerned with those things? Well, I don't know if I need to be concerned with them, but I need to know them. I need to know that God had the past and God had the future. That gives me confidence that God's got my present. All right? So, <clears throat> when considering, I think a lot of times, and I mentioned it last week briefly, but I want to dig into it a little bit more, that... You know, when we're considering the future, we cannot discount the past. 
Because when we look through Scripture, we see that God foretold things that would happen, and God did as God said. So, if we were to look at a few, let me just name a few, and then we'll discuss a few. How's that? So, my words here. In the garden, after the garden, in uh, the serpent beguiled Eve, God said that he was going to pay for what he did. And how he was going to pay for it is that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So we understand that, that the seed of woman, prophetically speaking about Jesus the Messiah, would crush the enemy. Well, that has partly happened in the respect that when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he destroyed death, hell, and the grave, and he established his kingdom. But we know future at his second coming, when he comes again, and there's a finality of Jesus crushing the head of the devil. So we know that that's going to happen. So God said he would do it. Now think about this. So God said it in the garden. Now, 4,000 years later, at the resurrection of Jesus, in, in, in a big way that has happened, but not in the fullest extent of the way it's going to happen, another how long we've been, another 2,000 years. Think about how far that was that God said, look, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know about you, that should give me, should give us a little bit of confidence, and then we know with uh, Noah how he said, look, here's what I'm going to do. Because of the wicked and man, I'm going to destroy the earth, and this is how I'm going to do it. I want you to build a boat, and I'm going to destroy it by a flood. Now, my understanding is that up until that point, it had never rained on earth. God watered the earth by the dew of the ground. So if that's true, thinking that through, God said he was going to do something that they had never seen before and didn't know of before. And God did it. But the timetable, and there's speculation on this as far as how many years was it between the time that God said he would flood the earth and Noah got the boat built and he did it. There's speculation in there. Some say it can be from anywhere from 60 to 100 years. And I don't really care. I don't care if it was 10 years. I don't care if it was a year. God said he was going to do it and then God did it just as he said he was going to do it. Now, I think that should be encouraging to us. And then with um, Abraham, how God told that his descendants, he gave this promise to Abraham, and then he said, oh, by the way, just know that your descendants are going to be in captivity for 400 years, and then I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue them, and I'm going to take them to the land that I had promised you. Okay, now, that time frame was 1,000 years, 1,000 years later. Now, Okay, okay, that's way, oh, I don't know if I can buy all that. Do you see the importance of why God has preserved his word? Do you, do you understand that when we roll back through human history and the things that have been written in the past, that have been affirmed in the past, that, that validate the scriptures. Now, I don't need the things of the past to validate the scriptures because I think it was Doug had made, has said this several times. It says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And he always said, no, God said it, that settles it. 
I don't, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. That settles it. And so I think sometimes when we look back, we can be encouraged. Because I can tell you right now, through my life, there's been sometimes I've been wondering, God, are you sure about all this? Because it doesn't seem to be panning out the way I think. You said that you would protect me, that you would guard me, that you'd provide for me, and I'm very vulnerable here, and I don't see you anywhere around. Big picture, you're his child. He loves you with an everlasting love. He will fulfill what he promised to you. What does that look like? I've had two mem- three members of my family die young. And when I go to a funeral, I have to remind them this is about eternity. You have to have an eternal perspective. If I would have died at 40, would have that made God a liar that he didn't protect me? No. But I can tell you right now, if I'd have died at 40, I would be shouting down, it's true, it's true, it's true, right? Because he did fulfill what he promised to me, to us as his people. Then you look at uh, Jeremiah. So what did God speak to Jeremiah concerning Babylon? He said, hey, I just want you to know, uh, yep, you're my people, but here's what's going to happen because you have just rebelled, 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 you're going to be in Babylon and you're going to be there for 70 years. So just plant your crops, build your houses, raise your families. You're going to be there 70 years. You know, Jeremiah, they didn't take too kindly to that. So, you know, they threw him in a pit. But what happened? 70 years. And God fulfilled what he promised. But listen, God said, I'm going to deliver you in 70 years And I'm going to do it through this nation and this king whose name is Cyrus. Now, that's kind of interesting. Cyrus hadn't even been born. God not only said it would be 70 years, but he named the nation and the name. I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging to me. So, we're going to have some discussion here, which is going to be fun. Uh, You want to do this for me? All right. So let's let's talk about a few others. This is what we want to look at. What did God promise? That's probably the big piece. What did God promise? And then let's talk about how did what did that really look like and how did it really play out? So let's do this. Let's just do Moses. What did God tell Moses? What did he foretell about to Moses about his people, Israel? Somebody? He said that he would set them free, Aaron said. Somebody else? What did he say to him specifically or in general? He basically grabbed them and said, go. And you go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh will listen to you eventually, um, but just go, and your people will be set free. Okay, so God promised deliverance to the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, it says that uh, in Genesis chap- or Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, he said at the burning bush, remember the story of the burning bush, and Moses there, and he goes up there, and he meets God, and God speaks to him. He says, I've heard the cries of my people, 
and I have come down. That is interesting. I have come down to deliver them. Now, here's what I need you to do. I just need you to go to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Now, what else did he get? Did he, did, did he get how that was going to happen, what that was going to look like? Did God say anything about that? Tony? Okay, first, uh, Exodus 6, 6 says clearly, explicitly says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. And when we think about those mighty acts of judgment, he's not telling here Moses at, at the very beginning that he's going to go in and given 10 plagues. He just go and liberate my people. He never said to him, there will be 10 plagues also, Moses or Aaron. So just remember that. He just, they just happened to be there when the time came. And so the Lord, this is an example of where the Lord sent someone without giving, giving, him, giving him all the details of what he's really going to do. Okay, so let's just say... Uh... Kobe, you're the guy. Give Kobe a mic. Uh-oh. You look smart with them glasses. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Try and drop into Moses' shoes. It's the burning bush. God tells him to do it. We know that God, he argues with God a little bit, like I'm not competent, and, but he does go. So how do you think Moses is thinking this is going to play out in his head? I mean... You see something like that, you got to be having all sorts of wild ideas, right? Am I, am I hallucinating? Am I, am I, have I lost my mind? Um, is this real? But how's he th how do you think Moses is... What, what do you think is Moses' mind is speculative that how God's going to do what he's going to do? Oh, I, I mean, I guess in my mind, he's God, so it's going to be real quick and easy and done. Okay, good. I like that. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that how we always think? Okay, that's good. So let's let's uh, so we know that the way that God did it was through the ten plagues. We know the tricky part of that. We know that the first few plagues was on everybody, but then the last ones only came on the Egyptians, and finally they just said, "Hey, get out and take all the stuff and go." And we can read through the story, and there were a lot more complications as we went through. But basically, God said He would what? He would deliver His people. Let me ask you: Did God? deliver his people. Yep, yeah. Yes, he did. Did he get him to the promised land? Did everyone make it to the promised land? Okay. Now let's look at another one. This is a fun one. Uh, Joshua and Jericho. So Joshua takes the people over. He gets on this side of the Jordan River and God speaks to Joshua, and he says that he is going to deliver them and take them into the land that he had promised them. And so the first obstacle was Jericho. What did God tell Joshua concerning Jericho? Go, and I will deliver them into your hands, is what he says to them. Okay, now... If you are Joshua, what do you think that looks like? And let me just back up for a minute. 
Joshua is a military leader. Keep that in your head. So anybody want to take a stab at that? Aaron, you want to take a stab at that? What do you think was in Joshua's mind? Give him the mic, would you? How's that going to play out? Well, so I'm thinking like if it was just me, Joshua was a slave. Joshua was freed by God. Joshua followed a cloud of smoke and fire. So he, he, he watched the uh, Red Sea swallow the Egyptians. Like he, he knows all those things. So I would, I would think that he believes that God's going to do something crazy powerful. Okay. Like uh, and then he comes and he sees, he, he sees a soldier, right? He comes and he talks to the soldier and he asks him, are you with me or my enemy? And the soldier says, I'm with the Lord. So that had to be quite the interesting, you know, conversation. But I can't imagine that he thought that he was going to march around the city quietly for seven days and then shout. Okay. Well, Doug, you're a military guy, so what's, uh, if you're Joshua, how do you think that's going to play out? Ooh, yeah. Um, so we talked about this a little. That's, I can't imagine, so, so Joshua, of course, saw those things, experienced all those things, but also, but also was a military leader, right, in the sense of the, the people of Israel. So can you imagine the day before he goes to Jericho and he tells his people, um, okay, I want the infantry guys to go to the back. I want the archer guys to go to the back. And I want the band to come forward. I mean, I'd be losing my mind if I, you know, if I'm a... That's where you're going to go. I'm a soldier, not a worship leader. <laughs> yeah, I'm now, yeah, I'm now a soldier. I'm going to the back. But, but to me, you know, it, it just, the, the awesomeness of God, right? When, when we see the, we, we see things like you said, the Red Sea, right? That was, that's just an awesome feat. That's a physical thing that happens. And, you know, the Pharaoh, the Egyptian army gets buried. But when God comes out and says, all right, we're just going to walk around this thing a couple, seven times, you're going to start shouting and blowing horns. And the whole thing's coming down. I, I mean, I, I don't think anybody was thinking that. You know, I can, I can see, right, in the desert, all the Israel army coming, and they stop at a, at a location that's far enough that they're safe, but close enough that they can observe and go, okay, that's what we're taking. And I can see all the infantry guy, all the guys are ready to fight going, <laughs> all right, shine up my stuff, sharpen my stuff, da-da-da. And some trumpet guy's shining his horn, or whatever he's doing, and God says, yeah, I'm going to use that. That's interesting that um, I never thought quite how you thought, Aaron, but just thinking that God would do it in a miraculous way, but the idea that God said that he would deliver them into their hands, knowing that God is going before them, God is going to do what God did. And I think it's interesting, too, that when they're going around the city, what did God... Uh, instruct Joshua about the people that was walking around the city. What did he say to them? Be quiet. Because if I'm walking next to Doug and Aaron, I'm going, so what do you guys, <laughs> what do you guys think about this? 
This is crazy, huh? It would have had to been in the minds of the people. Any, anybody got any other random thoughts about that incident? You want to share? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, go to both. So I think just that way of saying that I can take down this army just with shouting, he can use us mm. in so very many ways. Mm, that's good. Alexandra? Well, I, w I was thinking something completely different, like, you know, like you're marching, but there are like some chariots that come from the sky with fire and they will kill everybody and then, you know, something like that. Because he saw how, like you said, the opening of the Red Sea. So maybe, you know, like the Lord will send angels on horses and fire and they're all dead in a minute. Yeah, I like she's a dramatic type, right? She got, she's got a thing for flair. Just, well, one more thing. We have to remember who Joshua was when he got sent in to go scope out the land, right? He's two of ten that came back and said, oh, we got this. Mm. All these other guys are going, there's giants there, man. We're not going in there. And he's going, oh, no, we got this. Let's That's go. Good. Because he's got that surety that you're talking about, that God is... Anybody else? Candy, did you have your hands up? Well, don't itch your head because <laughs> give Candy the mic. Sold. <laughs> Sold. Okay, let's, uh, let's do one more. Uh, let's think through Gideon. So Israel is under the oppression of the Midianites. And if we've read this story, we know that God approaches Gideon, calls him a mighty man of valor, and he's going, mighty man of valor, you, there's somebody, must be somebody else here because I'm in a wine press, which is, an, which, is an, which is a cutout in rock. He's down in there and he's threshing wheat, which you do on a plain where there's wind. So when you throw the grain up, the chaff is blown away. So could you imagine just, this my, my mind works, you know, you're, you're walking along and all of a sudden you... What's that? What's that? There's something over there. So he's, he's hiding. And he's hiding for good reason because the Midianites, if they found him, they would take his, take his stuff because they came in and they just pilferaged everything. So he's there and God's telling him, mighty man of valor, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in the strength that you have and I want you to save Israel out of the hand of Midians. Am I not sending you? So how did that all play out? Here's where you think that uh, the Jericho thing or the Moses thing. Here's the assembly of the men. How many, how many did he, when he sent out the word, how many did he initially assemble to fight against the Minions? How many Israelites? How many? 30,000. 30, 30, 30, so that's confident, 30,000 men. That's pretty good. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? It, he, he's going, this, I'm liking this. This, is, this isn't all bad. What happens next? God, says God said there were too many. So what I want you to say is everybody out there that's afraid, go ahead and go home. How many left? Pardon? Well, I got 32, so 22 left, and we'll be until we 10 count. So 22, now, 
here's morale for you. You're leading the charge. These guys all come. You got 30,000 people. You say, hey, the Lord just said, if anybody afraid, go home. 22,000 leave? That, that's like not a good situation. So now he's down to 10,000. And then we know God weeds them again, and then he weeds them again. So how, did, how many men did Gideon have to go fight the army? 300. Now he's really nervous about that whole scenario. And we know how the story rolls. He questions God about it. God just sends him to the camp. He listens, and he hears the fear in the people's hearts. How did God ultimately deliver his people? He, what? He, he scared the enemy to fight themselves. <laughs> Just, go ahead. Go ahead, wait, go ahead. Bring the mic up. I'm trying to remember where I heard this or where I read this. Or I'm hoping that it's in the Bible and it's not blasphemous. <laughs> but I do remember hearing that the people of Jericho were really afraid of the Israelites because they had heard what the Lord had done. So they knew that the Israelites, God was with them. Was with them. So, I mean, the, the people in Jericho were not like sitting up there like, like, what are these guys doing? These are, these guys are foolish, but they were, they were pretty, pretty nervous, I think. And um, it's just amazing how God uses your enemy to fight your enemy to fight itself, you know, with some pots and some just torches. regular stuff. Torches and pots, horns and feet. He uses regular stuff. Well, that's good. You know, uh, we were talking earlier and Tom made mention that, uh, you know, how Jericho fell and it was a great city and then there's just a few men at AI and they decide, these men decide, we're just going to go take care of this and they, they get whooped. Right, and 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 so here's a, here's a here's a principle I think that we do need to trust God that God's going to do what He's going to do. We don't have to do it. We don't have to fight on our own. And you know, a lot of times, a lot of stuffs really isn't our fight to fight. God will go before us. God will fight for us. And so again, I think why discuss this? Because I think before we jump into what's it look like ahead of time, I think we need to be able to look back and say, what did it look like then? Because again, if we're standing back here before these things took place and we're hearing what God has spoken and we're assuming of what it may look like. And then each one of them, as they got to those places, it didn't look like what they thought, but God did do what he said. So when we're looking at prophecy and we're looking at things that come, I can tell you right now, these things are going to take place. They're clear. There are so many things that are just clear in Scripture, when you talk about the rapture of the church, the catching away, some think, hey, at the beginning of the tribulation period, what's going to happen is we're going to be caught up in the air uh, to meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to be with Him during the seven years of tribulation, and then we're going to come back with Him. And others think, hey, we're going to be caught up, saddle up, and come right back at the end. But just irrespective of details and time frames, 
we can be assured of what God has said. And that whatever God has said, God will do all that he said. So let me just finish with this thought. So depending on how you look at it, and depending on if there's any overlap about this, there were somewhere between 70 and 100 prophecies concerning Jesus. Uh, about his birth, about his life, about his death, and it's about his resurrection. And when you look at the prophetic timeline, so back here, God said, I'm going to do this, and God did that. He spoke maybe singularly to this event. And then God said, I'm going to do this, and God did that. In a general way, God through history has been going, I'm going to redeem my people, I'm going to rescue my people, and at various times, God did those things. Now think about this. You get to Jesus, and there is a, I don't know quite the word I want to use, there is this huge number a foretelling about that event. A huge number. Comparatively, really, when you think about it, through history and comparatively, there are, if, if, it's, if it is 100, if it's 70, prophecies concerning this. Now, what we do is we've already wandered down the road a ways and we look back and we go, yep, 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 yep. Happened. The Jews were back here going, yeah, I don't think so, I don't think so, I don't think so. So now, we're here in human history. And we are looking ahead, and there is another huge amount of prophetic voices about this. So there's a huge number of prophecies concerning his first coming and the events that surround it. There's a huge number of prophecies, because I think it's 300, concerning his second coming and the events that surround it. So this morning, what I hope is that we can just be assured that what God said he would do, he will do. Do you have to have it all figured out? No, you don't really have to. Can you seek to find it out? Sure. The book of Revelation says, he that reads the prophecies of the book will be blessed. If you can, I forget in Revelation 1-3, it's, it's good to do. But if you're a little confused about it, does that mean that just because you can't understand it, that God's not going to do whatever God said he was going to do? So in big piece, God said he's going to do this, and he did. In another big piece, God says, you know what? I'm going to do all this, and I can assure you today, God is going to do all of that. Amen.